First Timothy. And uh, Lord willing, we'll finish this off in the very soon in the new year. And uh, as was read earlier, we see the first five verses um, deal with uh, a couple of different matters here. But really in this last section of Paul's letter to Timothy, we see him address certain groups in the church in, in how they are to behave themselves. But not, now in contrast to, verse, uh, to chapter 5, not in their behavior towards one another, but their behavior outside of the church in their testimony outside of the church. And, you know, as a parent, perhaps the part that we dread most is how our children behave when outside the home. And, you know, what we see at times is we, we dread that. We, we sometimes have those moments that are a little bit embarrassing or a little bit like, oh, man, what, what's that really saying about us, right? And, and it's the same here. What, what we see is there was a great focus in chapter 5 of the, the, how we are to treat each other within the family. But now it's also going to speak about how we are externally outside of the church. And what we see is that when we focus on behavior within, we then have a positive effect on the behavior without. And the admonition given here by Paul is with the view that the church family must uphold Christ's testimony in their external dealings. And this had to do with, uh, with having a good testimony. And so in other parts of Scripture, Paul challenges the church this way in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And so understanding that the time is short, understanding that we have the, the testimony of Christ to uphold. He then gives certain instructions uh, to different uh, parts of the church. And, and what I'm saying is God has expectation for all. All of us here today, uh, we, have, uh, we have a way of, of really telling a story about Christ, of, of magnifying Him or in our, in our unwise dealings, really d doing damage to the name of Christ. And so as much as we can treat each other in a, in a right way within, we also have a testimony to uphold without, outside of the, the, the church family. And God has an expectation for all that they would uphold His name and the authenticity of the church both within and without. And so we're really going to cover just the first two verses tonight and then, and then jump into the rest um, in the new year. But look at verses 1 and 2 again. And he deals with something that all of us really... Um, really are, are part of, and it says here in verse 1, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. And, and what we're going to discuss tonight is the, the area of work, testimony of work. And here he addresses really the, the majority of the church. Um, in, in a commentary, it says this, In the early days of the church, a high percentage of believers were slaves, most of whom had unsaved masters. Some of the masters were kind, but others were cruel. 
Some were fair, but others were tyrants. Some were indulgent, but others were harsh. In any case, slaves had no rights. Sometimes they had privileges, but their legal status was clear. They were pieces of property bought and paid for, body and soul. And so we understand that in the context of this scripture here, in that, uh, in that time that uh, there was a great majority of those who were within the church who were still uh, under slavery, under servitude. And, and, and hence the majority of the church's testimony would have been of, on those that in, t- in that time had really had no rights and as was mentioned there, were considered property. And we understand that today we, we have no, uh, no institutionalized slavery, especially in our, in our society today. We understand that. And so how we apply this to our day is really this relationship between an employee and an employer. And, and it's still true today. That generally speaking, the majority of the church are still employees, those who work for someone that they uh, are under a management or a, a company or directly under a boss. And so that's really what we're, we're, we're going to glean tonight, our testimony at work. And, and the, reality is, the reality is that we are, as part of the nature of life, we are called to work, right? We have to feed our families. We have to work to earn a, a, a wage to be able to pay our bills, to be able to, uh, to, to work in, in order to survive. And, and God gives us that, and in fact... Right from the beginning, God's, God's expectation was for all to work, right? For man to work. And, and sometimes we have this idea that, that somehow work is some sort of dirty word. And, and you know what, uh, what these verses confirm? And even those in the most harshest of environments, he, he was giving them an admonition on how they are to have a testimony of, those, of those, their testimony covered in, at the workplace, and you understand here that it's not condoning slavery. Well, someone said it this way, well, not condoning slavery or calling for its disillusion. Paul makes it clear that the deeper and more significant relationship is that between two believers rather than how society defines the relationship on the surface. And, you know, sometimes we can get caught up, in, and I know of some in the past who, you know, really have fallen out with, with the Bible because of the use of the word servant or slave. And because of the environment that we live in today, the post-civil rights and all of that that we see in our world today, sometimes those who really are looking for a way to be tripped up by the Bible are tripped up by these kind of verses. Say, well, is God condoning um, slavery? No, the reality was that was the very reality in that day. And the very reality was this, the the historical context of this chapter was the majority of the church were under that, that kind of servitude. And so he's addressing really the majority of the church here. And again, we can apply this in our day in that employee-employer relationship. When we understand we don't call our boss master, they don't really have ownership over us, right? We have our own rights now as workers in our day. And I'm thankful for that. But there's still some principles there that we can glean as we look at these verses of Scripture. And so again, it's not that God was condoning uh, slavery and in, in, in this sense here, he was addressing a very real issue in the church. And he was addressing this, this historically in, in its context. And, and he's really going deeper here. And, you know, um, we, we're, we're glad for, for, uh, for those movements in the past that freed certain groups of people in our, in our world. We're glad for that. 
and we understand that in the sight of God, all people are created equal, correct? And so we understand that. And so, so God is not condoning that here. He's simply addressing a, 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 an issue. And really the motivation in writing this wasn't to, uh, to condone slavery. Paul's attitude to that really is reflected in the book of Philemon, where really he addresses that, that relationship again specifically in regard to a, a specific person. But Paul did uphold authorities, and really in the Roman Empire, this kind of servitude or slavery was upheld in law. And so really in that day, it was really just honest work. And you understand there's certain parts, certain parts of society who fell under real debt for their, for their living. And so rather than paying for their lives, they paid for it through service. And so a lot of the church was still in that way. And so it was really just an honest work in that day. And again, it's, it's, um, it's good to work. Again, really, this is re-emphasizing for the majority of the church, in, um, like he did in chapter 5, where he said, if you won't work, you're really an infidel. Really, you're not providing for your own. And so he's really reinforcing that to those who are the majority of the church. And so the motive was to help believers Really, in such a case, and in our case today, those under employment, those who have to earn a living under a boss, under some sort of structure of, uh, in a company sense. And so the motive was to help believers in such a case, really to maintain their testimony of the gospel by changing the hearts of both the slaves and the masters. Because remember, when Paul told Timothy to teach this, to exhort the church about this, it was to mix company. And what we're going to see in, in verse 2, it wasn't, it wasn't that in the, in the church, it was only those who were servants. It was actually there were some in the church who had believing masters who probably within the same congregation, the boss and the, the, uh, the servant were in the same congregation. Perhaps even sitting next to each other. Perhaps even serving in the same way. Perhaps even in times where the, the employee, the servant, was the one doing the teaching to the, to the, uh, to the master. And, and that's the beauty of the gospel. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. There's no one bigger and, and higher at the foot of the cross. And when it, comes to, when it comes to us in the church, in the family, you know, it equalizes everyone. It, it helps us understand that God very much views us that way regardless of our, of our status in life. And so we see this testimony of work really being emphasized. So it was important for, then for Paul to remind the church about what attitude they should have toward their work. And here really, those who face the most harshest of conditions, those who were servants. And again, we, today we don't have that. Today we can apply the, these principles to those of us who are employees. So notice in verse 1, he gives them the bigger picture. Notice what he says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So you understand that he, he doesn't just sort of, sort of shirk the reality of it. Notice the first thing he says to those who are servants. Notice how he describes them as are under the yoke. And that... that Phrasing there under the yoke really brings to mind the, the, the beasts who would just sort of 
work through the day, work through the heat, the, the hard labor. And, and we understand that the Bible tells us in, in the book of Matthew that uh, we can take the yoke of Christ and learn upon Him, right? So we have rest to our souls when we yoke up with Christ. But here he's using this to, to really underscore the reality of their situation. Here, here was the reality. See, Paul was under no illusion that, they, that, that this was just an easy sort of, uh, sort of condition that they were in. What Paul was saying, I understand that it's tough. All you servants, I understand that the going is tough. You're under a yoke. So, so he wasn't diminishing the, the hardness of work. In fact, right from the very beginning after the fall, we understand that work has become hard, hasn't it? Right? The Bible tells us part of the curse is that we're going ha- to sweat. We're going to have to work hard for our keep. And, and that was part of, the, part of that uh, expectation there. And so he doesn't diminish the, the reality of their situation. In fact, he addresses it. In fact, he, he, he comes alongside them and he says, I understand the reality. I understand that you're under a yoke. I'm under no illusion of how tough it really is. And, and yet the, the interest wasn't so much really on, on the emancipation. Think about this. He didn't say, you know, riot and set, set yourselves free. He said, in the condition that you find yourself in, make sure you uphold the testimony of Christ. And you know what? All of us here, if you, if you took a quick inventory tonight of how our work situation is, I'm probably saying that there's a good number of us who'd say, well, my work conditions aren't the best. Well, if I had it, if I had it differently, I would. And, and sometimes it is right for us to now think about, well, if it's affecting my spiritual life, it's affecting my walk with God, then perhaps I should move. At least we have that option, right, church? But the reality was many of them did not. And so rather than giving them an unrealistic view of it, he was saying, look, you're under the yoke. But don't focus on that. Focus on, focus on the gospel. Focus how even in your hardship, you, can, you could do something great for God. It, it wasn't so much their emancipation as in their physical sense, but really the emancipation of the sinner. An understanding that their testimony of the gospel was paramount. In fact, we see in verse 2, Perhaps even their, their testimony led to their own masters receiving Christ. Can you imagine the difference between a saved, uh, born-again servant and that who just treated it like it, he normally did, how, uh, how different that would be for, for someone observing that. And what he was saying to them was, you know, uh, the, I understand the hardship of this. I understand that what you're going through is hard. You're under the yoke. But then at the end of the verse, he's speaking about how they ought, to, they ought to uphold the name of God. And so that was the reality. Notice then secondly in the bigger picture, the owner. Notice what he says, count their own masters, worthy of all honor. And, and the root word in this phrase here is the word where we get the, the English word despot. Okay, this implied that the, these masters were, were total and, and absolutely under, uh, they, they were under their control. And really the main thrust of Paul's message was for those who found themselves in the most adverse of circumstances. You understand, 
that, that some, some masters really treated these servants with, with great disdain. As I said earlier, you know, unlike today, they really had no rights. They, they really had no, some had privileges and some, and perhaps they had a kind master who, who perhaps even sheltered them, perhaps even helped them. But, but for the most part, they were, they were mistreated. And really what he was saying in this word, masters, to them, what he was really implying, he was really referring to those who were in the most adverse of circumstances. So think about the worst kind of boss that you've ever had. Think about someone who just, if you thought about their name, you're, you sort of get your back up a little bit. Think about how maybe, maybe you're under them right now or maybe you're not. So think about those perhaps who you know. And that's, that's what he was referring to here when he says, count your masters. But notice what he says, not only is there the reality, the owner, but then there's the respect that he expected. Notice what he says, you need to count them worthy of all honor. Notice what he says. So he's saying to the worst, saying count them with all honor. He says be honorable, uh, give them honor. This, this phrase here, worthy of all honor, paired with the word count, it really has the instruction that the servants were to have their mind made up prior to any dealing. What he was saying was, regardless of how your week is going to be, the, the way you're going to have a testimony for Christ is that you have full respect for those masters who may even mistreat you. Can I, can I say something? Here, here's sometimes how we think Christianity is. We forget how extreme Christianity actually is. You know why? Because we're afraid of the word extremist. We're afraid that when we, get, when we live fundamentally like what we see in Scripture, that somehow we we're looked upon maybe as weak by society. You know, we live in a society today that, that really want to, wants to give it to the man. You know, part of Aussie culture at times is to, to, to sort of one-up the boss. And I know we, we ought not to be that way, but that's part of the fabric at times. We, we see that evidenced. Everywhere we look, everywhere we see. And I'm not saying you're that way. We ought not to be that way. But what he's saying here is count them. And the word count is predictive. He's saying, you know, before you go ahead, make your mind up. That, you, that you're going to give them the respect that, that, that I'm going to call you to. And again, Paul understood, and, and the Holy Spirit giving him this, understood the human response to mistreatment was really one to lash out. And again, we're protected under law now in, in our society today. But, but he's, he's giving them advice here to, to those who are in the harshest of conditions. He's saying, show some respect. Here's how you're going to have a testimony. Go beyond the first mile. Go the second mile. Show, show respect. Don't lash out. He, he basically said, put your emotional response off and cast on a mind to respect those who you've been put under. And really, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what, what happened to the Lord Jesus? We ought to remember. He, he, went under, he came under the, the most harshest of punishments. He was lashed. He had a crown of thorns. Beat upon his head. 
He was spat upon. He was crucified. Yet the Bible tells us he reviled not again. Hey, you want to be Christ-like? You want to be Christ-like? That's our goal, right, church? Then, then he's saying, even in the, here's the bigger picture. Count them with all honor. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do when you put a human face to, to what we're speaking about. That's hard to do when it actually happens to us. And we understand even in our day, there are those who would hold their power over us, would hold down, hold, uh, hold us in, in that degree. And yet, he's saying, count them with all honor. Saying ultimately, this was a way of showing trust upon God. He's saying both personally, understand who they are. I personally, understand that, that, that they've been put in that position. So understand this personally, understand this positionally. And remember, all authority came under God. So positionally, God placed them there. Promotion comes not from the east or the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. And you might not understand that, and we might disagree with God, but nonetheless, God placed you there, and God placed you under that person. So he's saying, look, both personally, potentially, uh, sorry, positionally, but then think about it potentially, because that person who is harsh potentially could be a soul saved if you would just be a testimony at work. And church, isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what we do though. Here's what we do. Sometimes we sort of look at it just from a personal vantage point and we're hurt and we're mistreated. And it's affecting us. And yet Christ is calling us to be like Him. And He's saying to, to you, potentially, you, that could be a person that you could win to Christ. And, and by the way, Paul had some knowledge of that. Wasn't he a very harsh judge over his now brethren? Wasn't he a harsh person as he went about on a rampage all across the Israelite countryside? Wasn't he one who was harsh and yet he knew God could change anyone? And the testimony of one brought him to a place of repentance. And so we see the bigger picture. We see the reality was they were under the earth. The, the, the owner was one who was a, a despot, someone who was in absolute control. They found themselves in the most adverse of circumstances. But he's saying the bigger picture is this, show respect. Show, that you, they will, show them worthy of all honor. Count them that way. But then notice the motive. Notice what he says that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And you know, in that day, it was very different for one to set themselves aside to follow a way. We know in other Scripture that often the, those believers in the early day were called the people of the way. They were different. They, they, they went on a Sunday, the first day of the week. They took that to go meet with, another, with a greater group of people. You know, that was not done. It was just in those festival times, in those festive times that, that the heathen and the, the pagan would go to, to any kind of religious event. It was only for their benefit. And yet they knew that 
that these ones, these servants that made up the majority of the church, and in our day, the, the majority of the church are still employees. He's saying to them that the motive is that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. You know what he's saying? You know, you talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk. He's saying you say that you're a Christian, and these masters know that you are. Society observes that of you, and yet what they found, in, in some, no doubt, was the opposite. They just acted like everyone else. At work. An external testimony. And so the testimony of God was paramount. He said there again that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So God in His person, in what they knew about God, in how they were testifying of Him. But then He also said in the doctrine, the teachings of God. Saying even in the teachings, follow through with that. And so He was reminding them, your, your, your testimony at work. Saying the testimony of God was paramount. It had to be the, the servant's heart had to be the heart of Christ. The, the servant's heart had to be aligned with, with what mattered to Christ the most. And so he gives them the bigger picture in verse 1. But then notice verse 2 here this evening. We see the nuanced circumstance. So he, he addresses really the typical, really addresses it in general, the bigger picture that we work not just, so, not just to pay off a debt, not just to earn a living. We work because we have a testimony to uphold. The testimony of God and, and the doctrine that we, we say we believe. But we see here the nuanced circumstance. There was, a, there was a circumstance that was just unique, I guess, to some in the church. And, and, verse two, and they that have believing masters. So this does not change now, verse 1. But he's going to give specific situation here, some instruction. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. He gives an imperative at the end there. You need to teach this. But notice what he says. And they that have believing masters. Here's the scenario. There were those in the church who had that employer-employee relationship. There were those, in the, there was a, it was a different, it was a nuanced, it was a specific situation that they found themselves in. It wasn't typical of the day. Typically, it was an unsaved master, but now it was a saved master. That's the scenario. And here's what I take from that. The good news was that there were those who were in the church who were, who were employers, those who had the ability uh, to have uh, those who to work for them, they were masters who were Christians. And, and can I just remind you that the gospel isn't just under the ownership or under the monopoly of a certain group of people. The gospel is for all. And the gospel can affect anyone. Even those who perhaps at one point were harsh. Even those who at some point maybe even mistreated those that they now call their brethren. But here we have those who were believing masters. There were those who were servants who had believing masters. And, 
And I conjecture with you this evening, perhaps it was the testimony of those who were in the church who from the very outset led as many servants, those many servants in the church. Maybe it was one of them whose testimony was so clear and so Christ-like and was such a testimony that when they spoke of the gospel, it was just under conviction that that master came to know Christ. And can I just say, don't underestimate our witness at work. And we understand we've got to be careful at times. We are under company time. At times, it, there's even policies these days, right, where you're not to speak about religion during work hours. But, but perhaps in those moments, can I just say, you might have opportunity just in how you are, in how you're different for Christ, that might make all the difference to someone who's even above you. And we don't think about that when we're mistreated. We don't think about that perhaps as a cost to our lack of testimony and lack of response at times. And yet, what, that's what he was saying. He was saying there were those who were believing masters. They were Christians. And, and again, although this would seem to be a more ideal situation, what it did, it, it gave rise enough for, for Paul to address it. He, he wanted to give some instruction about this nuanced circumstance that, that brought really perhaps other complications. And here's the complication. Notice here, let them not despise them because they are brethren. And the sad thing was this, even though that was, should have been a good relationship, there was a despising. That was a complication. The, the word despise here is key. It means to think down upon. The, the fact was all believers are equal in the sight of God, but in this scenario, the one who may have had the seniority in the church perhaps may have been the servant, not the master. Yet externally the roles were reversed and the warning was for servants and masters really to not take advantage of each other because of their faith. Not to, not to take encroachments in, their, in the way they were to deal with each other. Because that brought about a, a despising of one another. And, and again, at times we need to check our earthly roles at the door when we're in the same fellowship as those that we are either employed by or whom we employ. We need to check that at the door. I love the story that, that my dad gives uh, about his, um, his time on the U.S. Uh, as an apprentice for the U.S. Navy back in the Philippines. And how he said, you know, there were some who were, you know, his captains on the base that were part of the, part of the, the church that he was attending and you know, in the, in the church, it was no, there was no seniority there. They just fellowshiped as brethren. And, and yet, we know human nature at times is complications. And so there he's saying, the complication was just let them not despise them because they are brethren. And he's giving them instead, here, here's the mindset that you ought to have, but rather do them service. He's saying, don't just sort of think that you're now entitled to some sort of leeway, some sort of privilege now that you are your brethren in the same 
local church. He's actually saying, do them service. So what he's saying, rather than expecting privileges, Paul was giving them a mindset of service. See, a Christian employee should be the best one a Christian employer has. That's what he was saying. The word service has the idea of duty. But not just duty, duty to the extra mile. And sometimes we allow the familiarity in our fellowship to excuse us from the same hard work expected from all, or we believe we ought to have special concessions. And what Paul was warning against was this was not the mindset you were to have. You're to have the mindset of service. And here's the reason, not that they were always right. Here's the motive now as he gives instruction about this nuanced circumstance. He says, because, why do you serve them with that extra mile mentality? Because they're faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. And really, this was the speaking about their position in Christ. He was talking to, to those who were servants that they, that they would, would treat their believing masters in service. Why? Because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. And really, this is speaking of their position in Christ. And we are to treat others with honor and respect, not because they're perfect, but because they are, as we are, joint heirs and, and partakers of the heavenly calling. We are to respect and acknowledge the fact that, that, that we have a commonality in the person of Jesus Christ. We have that position. And that ought to be our motive of service when it comes to that relationship. But then here's the imperative. Notice lastly, these things teach and exalt. And evidently, there was a lacking of this in the church. And church, listen. In a day where, where really the, the whole point of work ethic and, and the whole, the whole um, honesty of, of a hard day's work is, is really downplayed. We need to get back to biblical, biblical mindsets about work. We need to get back to an understanding that God had an expectation of how one was to have a testimony at work. And he's saying here, teach and exhort. Paul said, instruct everyone this way. And it was important to have a right testimony even when we aren't the ones with the privileged positions. And this is the expectation. This is the way is what Paul was saying. And, I, I, and again, I don't know what your work week is like. I don't know what, what relationships are strained there. But can I just encourage you to have a bigger picture mentality? The testimony of Christ is at stake. Can, can I just admonish you this evening that, that even though you might find yourself in the harshest of situations, that, that ultimately God's, God's watch care over you trumps any of that? But His expectation is this, that, that you would care enough that you would work and, and have a show of testimony for His holy name and the doctrine of which you claim to espouse. And really, that's what matters in the end. You know, God knows. God knows how things pan out. God could send you that test. And yet, God, in His faithfulness to us, can also get you out of it.
And so I pray that we'd be fruitful that way. And, and you know, no one likes to think about work at Christmas. Everyone wants to go on a break. But the reality is we're back to work in the new year. <laughs> and, you know, those extra, extra days to sleep in maybe, it'll quickly just go. And work comes. And we have an opportunity, though, to be a testimony for Christ there. And it would be a wonderful thing to, to have the testimony that this church had and they that have believing. And I wonder if we could win uh, a manager. We could win a supervisor we report to. Maybe by the sheer force of the testimony we have for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Lord, your, your, your word is so instructive for our daily living. And Father, you, you inspired the, the Apostle Paul to write this and, and preserved it for us today to remind us, dear God, of, of what our mindset ought to be, what the bigger picture is in regard to our labors. And Father, we thank you that we live in a day where employees have well, great privileges, we're protected under law. We live in a society still that, uh, by and large, uh, Lord, has the, the, the worker's best interest at hand. And Lord, we, we have that great privilege today, but help us, Lord, to look beyond the, the specific circumstance, but look beyond, uh, look beyond the day-to-day -day grind of it, but recognize that, recognize that there's a bigger picture at hand, that, that Lord, in our testimony of how we are at work, we really testify of our God and testify of His way. And so I pray that you'd help us to be different that way, dear God. Help us, Lord, not to just be the average worker, but Lord, help us to be the biblical worker. Help us, Lord, to be the, the, the worker that pleases you. And, and then, Lord, by that, that we might see fruit even in our workplaces. And we, we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, Brother Al.